If you're a follower of Jesus and you're really seeking to live as one of his disciples, then you'll agree with me today that discipleship is tough. It's difficult. And you'll know if you're seeking to serve the Lord in this church and in your life that ministry, and by ministry, I'm not just talking about me and the job that I fulfill here, but ministry to the Lord and to others, it is difficult. It's really tough. And we are doing this in a time of increasing hostility to the gospel. We know that. And we should not be surprised when we get a hard time as followers of Jesus. Jesus said to his followers, if people hate you, keep in mind that they hated me first. It's because of our very connection to Christ. And sometimes we get discouraged in that work. As a church, we can't ignore the statistics locally around us and right the way across our Presbyterian church. We know that the statistics tell us that it is a church that's in decline. But sometimes we get so preoccupied with the numbers that we actually fail to see the good that is going on around us. We fail to see what the Lord is pleased to do in our lives and in the life of this church and right the way across his church at this time. Well, I want you to know today that ministry and discipleship were really tough for Paul and his friends 2,000 years ago. It's not that we open up the Bible and the experience of these people is so remote from us because they were going through exactly the same things that we go through as believers in Christ and as a church. In fact, 2,000 years ago in the church, many, many people, including a number of the apostles, paid a really high price for their commitment to Christ. And today, as we open up God's Word together, we are given a wonderful picture of how Paul and his friends remained faithful to God in a tough place and at tough times. And therefore, it provides a great example for us who are Christians today. It gives this wonderful example to us together as the church. But today, as we open up God's Word, it's not just about an example to follow. Ultimately, today, we are reminded of God's faithfulness, why He can be completely trusted. You know that we have been taking our time working our way through the book of Acts, which as the writer Kevin DeYoung describes it, is the story of the continuing work of Jesus. It's a story about what Jesus is doing in his church. And we have been following Paul and his friends as they bring the gospel into Europe for the first time. And now they've arrived in a city called Corinth, and I would love you to turn in your Bibles again with me to Acts chapter 18. If you've got a Bible in front of you, look along at some of the things that happen in this city of Corinth as we read about it in Acts chapter 18. 
And as we meet with Paul in this city today, it's important that we understand what this city was like. Corinth was an incredibly wealthy city. It was a port city that connected the east with the west. So lots of trade passed through and lots of money came into that city. But alongside that, Corinth was also an incredibly immoral city. It was a pagan city, and this city dedicated itself to its special god or its goddess Aphrodite, who was the Greek goddess of love. But for the the Corinthians back then, just as is the case for many people in our society today, in their minds, love equated to sex. And so for them, the way in which they expressed their devotion to their goddess was by engaging in all kinds of sexual activity. And the rule was, there are no rules. It was a case of anything goes. And I explain that today, not just as some kind of history lesson, but it's really important for us to understand the context and the culture that Paul and his friends remained faithful in because they stayed faithful to God in that setting. And we think then about our own society, our time, and we see that we're much like Corinth. We live in a wealthy society, and in global terms, all of us here today are wealthy people. I know there's a a cost of living crisis and all the rest of it, but we are amongst the wealthiest people in the world. And we know that we're living in an immoral society, a society that is so confused about morality. We see that even over the past week, the whole story breaking about Russell Brand, and suddenly everybody's horrified about that. And yet back at the time, when you listen back to some of the things that this guy was saying on mainstream radio, on BBC radio, and his managers and the the content producers just must have presumed, that's fine, that's okay. It's just the kind of person he is. We live in such a confused society. And that was the environment in which Paul faithfully served the Lord and made the Lord Jesus Christ known. And we're called to do the same. So today, what lessons can we learn from Paul and Corinth as we seek to live for Jesus and share him with others? Well, I want us to think about what Paul did during his time in Corinth. And first of all, we we see in this chapter Paul's faithful service. The thing about Paul is he sought to do a gospel work for God's glory and for the good of the people of that city and not for personal gain. That's really the crux of what we discover about Paul today. That is the example to be followed. So let me repeat that again. When he was in Corinth, Paul did a gospel work for God's glory, for the good of the people of that city, and not for personal gain. So that at the beginning of the chapter, Luke tells us that Paul teamed up with a married couple, Aquila and Priscilla, 
And they, like Paul, were followers of Jesus from a Jewish background. And with all of the other Jews, they had been expelled from Rome. That's why they were now living in the city of Corinth, where they worked as tent makers. And the key thing for us to see about Paul comes in verses 2 and 3. Look at what we're told again. We're told that Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So, Paul made use of his trade of tent making. You could say that Paul was a preacher who was paying his way. And it's really important that we understand what was going on with Paul here and the Christ-like attitude that he had in doing this. We know that Paul was an apostle. He was a preacher. His job, his task given to him by God was to make Jesus known to others. And Paul believed that preachers deserved a wage for the work of the Lord. He believed that they, they needed to be given some kind of financial compensation for the job they were doing. We see that in Paul's writings. First of all, writing to the Corinthians, to the people in this city in 1 Corinthians 9.14, he says, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. And it's not just Paul's opinion. He tells us the Lord has commanded this. And then in 1 Timothy 5.18, when he's talking about people who preach and teach God's Word, he says the worker deserves his wages. So, I thought I'd better get that out today just in case you evict me from the manse or say, well, he can go and get another job and start making tents or something like that. No, Paul is saying, look, those who preach the Word, they need to be given financial reward for doing that. But given that he says that, then why in this case does Paul begin to do another job using his skills as a tent maker? Well, we don't need to guess because he tells us why. First of all, in 1 Thessalonians 2.9, and interestingly, these were words that were written by Paul while he was here staying in Corinth during this time. And he said to the Thessalonians, we worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. And then writing to the Corinthians themselves in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 18, he asks, what then is my reward? In other words, the reward for the job that I'm doing. He said just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. That's exactly why Paul started to do this job, so that he wouldn't be a burden, a financial burden to his brothers and sisters in Christ, but also for the sake of the gospel, so that people wouldn't turn around and say, that guy's just doing that because he wants to make money. Paul did not want anything to hinder the gospel message. And what an example he sets of being like Jesus, preferring the needs of others, that it's not all about him and what he can get out of it. And understanding this should make us 
wary of. It should make us cautious of some of the preachers and the, the pastors and the people that we see on the God channels on TV or maybe the books that we pick up. You know, it's as simple as this. If a preacher or a minister is going around in a private jet and living in mansions, well, that's not the way of Paul. It's not the way of the gospel. It's certainly not the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm bringing it back to ourselves. If we're called to serve the Lord in this place, and lots of you here are serving Him in many different ways, it must never become about what you can get for yourself. It's got to be about God's glory, the good of other people, never ever your own gain. So we get to see Paul's faithful service, but then in this chapter we get to hear Paul's faithful message. And the thing about Paul is that in a tough place and in a tough time, he remains absolutely faithful in telling people the truth about Jesus, no matter what their reaction and what it costs him personally, he is faithful in making Jesus known. So that following the pattern of his ministry, he first of all goes to the synagogue in verse 4, and this summarizes his ministry, verse 5, that he devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. You see, that's the core of Paul's message. And it should be the core of ours as well as a church. It is all about Jesus. The gospel is about him, who he is that he's God's anointed one, the Son of God, who has all of the authority of his Father, and about why he came, that he came into this world to seek and to save the lost, sinful people like you and me. And we have been able to see all the way through this series, as we have read this book of Acts, that some people will listen to this and they will see it as good news. And other people will absolutely hate this message for all of the reasons that we've been thinking about during this series. And once again, here in Corinth, there were two responses to the message of Jesus Christ. If you look at the passage again, on the one hand, in verse 7, we're told that many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. But then on the other hand, back in verse 6, Luke tells us about the Jews who opposed Paul and became abusive. And I want you to see Paul's response to those who rejected the good news of Jesus. Verse 6, we're told that he shook out his clothes in protest, and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And when Paul spoke those words, he would have had a particular Old Testament passage in his mind. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 33, and we don't have time to look at it now, but later on, read that passage and you'll see what I mean. In Ezekiel chapter 33, those who proclaim God's word are likened to a watchman 
who's up in a watchtower, watching out for the enemy, getting ready to heed or to warn the people of the coming enemy. And in that chapter, it talks about God's servants, those who proclaim God's word. And it says that if they fail to heed people, if they fail to warn people, then the blood of the people is on their hands. But if they sound the trumpet, if they give the warning and the people just ignore it, then their blood is on their own heads. And Paul's saying to these people in Corinth, look, I've done my bit. I've told you the truth about Jesus and your great need of him. And if you ignore that truth, if you do not turn to Christ, then that's your fault, not mine. And so for us today who love Jesus and for us as a church together, we need to be so faithful in sharing the gospel, no matter what it costs us. We need to warn people of what life is like without Christ. But there's only so much that we are called to do and indeed can do. If people reject the gospel, then we have to leave that between them and God. And it's such a powerful reminder to all of us here today that you are ultimately responsible for how you respond to the good news of Jesus, that if you, you reject it, and therefore if you face God's judgment unprotected, then your blood is on your own head. So we get to see Paul's faithful message. And then finally, and this is really the most important thing as we finish, we get to see Paul's faithful God. Because as we look at this passage today, if we just take this passage as being an example to follow, what it ends up doing is leaving us feeling a bit despondent because we know that we're not actually like this. I know that in my life I fail to live and to share Jesus in this kind of way. And it's really important that we see the gospel, the good news that is contained in this passage today. How could Paul and his friends remain faithful when they were in such a tough place and going through such a tough time? Well, it's because of the promise that the Lord graciously brought to Paul at the end of this passage. Look again at verses 9 and 10, and we're told that one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Listen to what he said. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. It was a call to remain faithful. It was a call to keep obeying God and doing what God had called him to do. But much, much more than that, Paul was being promised by the Lord of some fundamental things. Look at verse 10, where God promised, first of all, his presence. He said to Paul, I am with you. And that's the message of God to so many of his people all the way through Scripture. If you read through the Old and the New Testament, you hear that message again and again. The Lord coming to people and saying, I am with you. 
And what a great reminder, what a comfort for Paul at a time of great danger and struggle, that he didn't face it alone, that God was with him. And it remains God's message to his people today. And it is possible because of Christ. It really is all about Jesus. We think of the words of Jesus himself as he calls his disciples to go and make other disciples. And he says to them in Matthew 28, 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What a comfort for us in the work that the Lord has called us to do. God promised his presence, but he also promised his protection. He said, no one is going to attack and harm you. And yet we read those words today with an awareness of how it ended up for Paul in his life, that church historians would tell us that ultimately Paul was put to death because of his belief in Christ and the work that he did for him. So what is this all about? Well, this was a promise made to Paul that was specific to his time in Corinth, but also eternal. Let me explain what I mean. It was specific to this time because he was saying, look, there's a work to be done here, and while you remain here, you will go about that work on harm. But ultimately, Paul would know no lasting harm. He would have that ultimate deliverance in Christ. Remember what Paul was able to say in Philippians, that for him to die is gain. And this remains God's message to his people today. Again, it's because of Christ. It's all about Jesus. That we will find ultimate deliverance in him. And when you read through that chapter of Scripture, Romans 8, there you get to hear how God will work things for the good of his people, how nothing can separate us from the love that God has for us in Christ. And the final part of the promise, he promises his people. He says, I have many people in this city. And maybe that confuses you because you think, well, how were there many followers of Jesus in a city where the gospel had only just arrived? But what the Lord means when he says this to Paul is that he had people in mind, people he had chosen to save through his son, the Lord Jesus. And they didn't yet know it. They didn't even know their, their need of Christ and salvation. But God knew who they were and that they would come to him in repentance. That's the message of the Bible time and time again, that God has chosen a people for himself. And if that's the case, maybe you think, well then, why do we bother telling people about Jesus? If there are people who are chosen, why would we need to do that? Well, rather than being a disincentive to evangelism, this should prompt us to share Jesus all the more. As Kevin DeYoung puts it, because Jesus has chosen some to believe, we can keep speaking in confidence because we know that God will bring people to himself. Today, let's finish with our focus very much on the Lord Jesus Christ. These wonderful promises of God, his presence, 
His protection, His people. All of those promises find their yes in Jesus. He is the one who brings Him about in His church. And so, at the end, I ask you, do you know God's presence? Do you know God's protection? Are you one of His people in Christ? Because this is found in Jesus. It really is all about Him. And we can be sure of His continuing work in His church. And we should seek His continuing work in our life. Amen.